0: My name's Rod, and um, yeah, I work here a bit. And uh, not really speaking today, more kind of just facilitating something that Kat and I are going to do. A few weeks ago, at the end of our very long series on the Bible, um, we talked about the role of creativity and imagination in. Finding life-giving readings of the Bible, and so, kind of inspired by that conversation, for Advent this year, which is, depending on who you talk to, the weeks leading up to Christmas or after that or whatever. But um, for Advent this this year, we wanted to make it about creativity and imagination. So, we're trying to exercise some muscles that uh, we often don't in this community. Um we often uh, specialize in ideas and arguments and thrashing through things with conversation. Um, and for these few weeks, we, we're going to try to open up the Bible, open up the Christmas story through story and song. We're going to try to find life-giving readings of the Christmas story through works of art and imagination rather than sermons and arguments and ideas. Um, So our theme is um, the forgotten people, or as uh, Tish kind of reframed it last week, shining the light on the forgotten people, which I prefer. Uh, So that's our theme, shining the light on the forgotten people. Um, And last week, Tish introduced us to the world of uh, womanist midrash, Um, that's stories written by uh, african-american theologians or specifically the african-american theologian wilder gaffney Um, and her stories shine a light on uh, forgotten women of the old testament Um, stories that can easily be missed or skipped over and we looked at the story of the the hebrew midwives that pharaoh ordered to to kill all the male babies, and um, Tish read that story, the story of Shipra and Pua. Um, So this week, inspired by that, inspired by Will Gaffney's stories, we're going to move to the New Testament and then to to, to the Christmas story. And just like with Womanist Midrash, just like with Will Gaffney's stories, we're going to use works... Of imagination, we're going to use our own creations to shine the light on some other forgotten people. Does that make sense, yeah. It's okay. Okay, I see that nodding. Thank you. Um, so, first, Kat is going to come up and read her very own midrash. This is something. When did you write it, Kat? Just years ago. Years ago. It's an old midrash. Um, so. She's going to read her midrash, and then I'm going to sing a song. Um, This is not an old song. I wrote it a couple of weeks ago. Um, But before Kat comes up, I'll just quickly talk you through the process. I'm a language teacher, so I like to give people steps. Um, So there's... First, we're going to read the passage that Kat's midrash is based on, so we're going to call that Reading 1. Then Kat's going to come and read her Midrash for us. Um, and then after that, we're going to have another reading of the passage. I'm going to call this reading two. And after that reading, oh, Warwick. Oh, it's a story. Let's just, for, the, for, the point of, for the point of today, let's just call it a story that is based on something in the Bible, but which kind of fills in a gap. So there might be a very quick story or a very simply told story, and then someone says, I want to know more about that. I want to create a bigger story around that person. Excellent question, Warwick. And so that's exactly what Kat has done with a character in the New Testament, a character in the Gospels that, um, whose story is just told in a few verses, and Kat um, has written a midrash about her. But I won't steal any more of her thunder um, So the last thing we're going to do is after the second reading, there'll be a time for us to share anything that changed in the Bible passage for you, Um, anything that opened up for you, anything, uh, any light that was shined slash shone on things that you had missed, anything that deepened your experience in some way. Um, So as you hear the story read, the passage read for the second time. That's. I want you to allow the Midrash to, in a sense, shape your experience of that story, and then we'll get some feedback about things that happened to you. All right, so Hilary is going to read the story for us.
1: That she was healed of her disease immediately aware that power had gone forth from him jesus turned about in the crowd and said who touched my clothes and his disciples said to him you see the crowd pressing in on you how can you say who touched me he looked all around to see who had done it but the woman knowing that what had happened to her came in fear and trembling fell down before him and told him the whole truth He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease.
2: Hello? Um, So this actually came out of a service a couple of years ago where Rod encouraged us to write Midrash about this story. And I dutifully went home and did my homework. (laughs) um and um i really want to say look even if you're not a writer i totally recommend playing around with this um kind of way of engaging with the bible because i got a lot out of it just researching um what what would have happened to this woman next and then kind of imagining how it would have felt for her um so even just doing that for yourself i would highly highly recommend Basically what I'm saying is I wrote this story for myself and if you don't like it, I don't mind. <laughs> 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 um, and so I thought I'd, it's, uh, it's a few pages long, so I thought we'd put some music behind it just to kind of hold us all while we listen to it and give me a bit of buffer between my voice and all of you listeners. Um, so sit back, relax, pretend it's a podcast. Um, Go for it. Alan? Also, this music was composed by one of our very own, Josh Firmister. All right. Cella woke up feeling like a bride. Today was the day. Today was the day for the first time in 12 years she would be touched again. She jumped up and carefully checked her garments and the grass sleeping mat, inch by inch, still no blood. The holy man had said truth to her, and now soon she would be free. Free to be touched, to cook for her family, to buy fruits in the markets, to go to temple. She would be free. Chilla took the water jug and the rag and pumice stone and scrubbed herself down one more time. She had scrubbed so many times in the last seven days, she felt raw, like new skin healing after a wound. She searched her body to check one last time for hairs or scabs. She must be pure all over to go into the mikveh. Chela, precious one, how goes it today? Her mother's anxious voice floated through the courtyard. She would not come out to her, could not touch her until after the mikveh. Chela knew the rules, but still it hurt a little. Couldn't even her mother just break the rules for this one miraculous day? Oh, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Today was too fine. She could see the sun breaking through, and soon, soon she would be standing in the spring and everything would be washed clean. Beautifully, thoroughly clean. It goes well, Mother. Everything goes well. Chilla allowed herself to appear at the door of the hut. She had put aside her best robes to wear later. Later, when she is pure again. But for now, she wears the old grey ones. She has washed the blood out, but there are still faint stains. Can her mother see them all the way from the kitchen door? She thinks about saying outright, there is no more blood like she had done on that first day, that first excruciating and magnificent day. But instead, she says, everything continues well, mother. I am well. Mother's face is masked by the kitchen shadow, but Chela can see she holds herself a little taller. Mother... We can go soon, I am nearly ready. But her mother has already disappeared back to the kitchen. It has been so long. Surely mother will come to the mikveh with her. Surely she does not have to go alone. Chela, chela, wonderful chela. She hears the slow crooning of Afra's voice over the courtyard wall. Afra, Afra, marvellous Afra, she echoes back. Clambers onto the milking stool and peers over the top. Afra stands below her, looking mischievous as ever. How goes it, Chilla? It goes well, Afra, very well today. His tiny courtyard is a mirror of her own, even down to the mud hut in the corner. In Afra's courtyard, only the cow lived in that hut though, not a woman, not his wife. Behind Afra, she can see Bosmat and Ziva paring out from the cow's hut. Bosmat is milking the cow and pretending not to listen. Siva is blatantly watching them, rocking a cradle at her feet. Has Aphra done this on purpose? Brought his babies out for Chela to see? To show her how she has failed him as a wife? Oh, but today she doesn't even mind Bosmat and Siva. It's nobody's fault that Aphra had to take more wives. A man must have someone who will bear his children after all. And Bosmat could only bear girls. So Siva had come to bear Aphra a son. For a brief second, she imagines what it could have been like if there had been no bleeding. Maybe she would be fat and placid like Bosmat now, milking cows every day. Or thin and sallow like Ziva, her breasts hanging from feeding, pushing a spindly baby cradle with her foot. Or maybe she would have been barren, or only had girls, or had one child and then got sickly, or maybe she would have died in childbirth. Sheila imagines a life where instead she followed the holy man on his journeys of healing. She could do that if Afra did not want her back. She had seen when she was in the crowd that there were women who travelled with him. She could carry some food and cloths on her back. She would learn to read and he would teach her sacred teachings. She would walk with the men and sit with the men. They were only fishermen after all. They would sail across the lake and go to Jerusalem. They would sit in the dark with only fire between them and they would talk of the heavens and the earth and they would listen for the voice of God. Chela, Chela, wonderful Chela, Afra's voice brings her back to the stone wall. Tonight I will see you, Chela. He looked so happy. How could she disappoint him? He had stayed married to her all these years, never touching, just waiting next door. How could she ever question his devotion? Tonight, Afra, she smiles back at him, dips below the wall. She can see her mother's shadow. It is time to go. Outside it is early morning, but the day is already sweltering. Chila can see her mother waiting for her, in her waiting for her in the sun, her beautiful mother. The walk to the mikveh will take almost two hours. Chela and Naomi have not walked this path together for 12 years. Naomi walks ahead fast like she is running a race to get there. She waits at the corners for Chela like an impatient child. It has been 12 years since they have had a proper conversation. 12 years since anything in their household has not been about whether the bleeding has stopped or is worse or whether there is pain today and sometimes At first, all the time, could we try this healer or that tincture or this sleeping mat to see if it will fix the problem, the problem of your sticky, dirty, shameful bleeding? Chela knows that Naomi has several times gone to the temple and sacrificed a dove for her daughter. Sometimes she can see in her mother's shadow in the kitchen doorway just the way she holds her head that she is angry, so angry. There are some, Chela knows, who say that Chela has been cursed because she lay with a man who was not her husband. And every time, Chela knows, Naomi came to her defence, said that she had checked the sheets herself after the wedding night, that she had seen Chela and Afra every morning together for the first year of their marriage. They were together every day until the bleeding started. She knew that Chela had been faithful. Sometimes Chela wondered if it was just her own willful, sinful nature that had brought this on. Naomi told stories that when Chela was born, she was born screaming and red-fisted and full of pride already, prouder than all of her brothers. Oh yes, the boys had lungs and strong fists of their own and they had grown into broad-shouldered men with fine beards. But Naomi had told Chela to never be afraid to be strong. Chela had roughhoused with her brothers all older than her and had her own way right up until the day she was married. Naomi would come upon them sometimes, roughhousing in the fields or in the house and give them a right good talking to, but underneath her stern frowns, you could see she was smiling at her strong, proud daughter. Chela, they used to joke, was so stubborn that she would be like Queen Esther one day. She would marry a king and save the world. Sometimes Chella wondered if the one above had decided to diminish her somehow because of her parents' love, to spare both Naomi and Chella the shame of too much ambition or worse, dreams of grandeur that never came to pass. But instead they had been given a daughter who was only half a woman or too much of a woman, cursed to be always unclean, always bleeding. When she had been in the crowd, when she had reached out to touch the holy man's robes, she had been thinking of Naomi, of how all these years she would leave bread on the mat on the back step, and after Chela had eaten, she would wipe the mat carefully. Naomi's hands, wiping the mat and laying the bread, that was what Chela had been thinking of when she touched the holy man. Naomi and Chela walk the dusty road together towards the mikveh. Their feet have fallen into the same rhythm. There is always a trail of women going to and from the women's mikveh for their monthly rituals. She can see faces she knows and feel their looks as Chela passes them. Many of them move to the side to be sure not to touch her. Chela can see a thin line of sweat glistening on Naomi's wrists. She doesn't know what to say to make this moment seem real. Twelve years with bleeding and now it has stopped. Who would believe a crazy miracle like that? Chilla can see, behind them, that Bosmat and Ziva have joined the trail. Ziva carries the youngest baby in her arms, a boy of almost one. He is curly-haired and brown-skinned, smooth like a nut. He waves and giggles at the women, at Chilla, at Naomi, blithely waves like nothing unusual is happening today. When it is Chilla's turn to be washed, she steps into the room, and lays her muslin bundle on the bench. The room is made of smooth gray bricks. A deep square bath in the center is full, almost to the top, with cool, clear water, fed by the natural spring necessary for purification. Narrow strip windows let in shafts of sunlight, making the spring glisten. A tightly sealed roof above stops the rain getting in and making the water impure. Rain cannot purify while it is pouring, so the law says. Chilla remembers the first time she came here. She was 14, already betrothed to Afra. It was almost their wedding night and she was so proud to be doing womanly things that, her bod- that she bounded up to the attendant and told her, don't worry, I know exactly what to do, and then promptly slipped over on the whetstone floor. The attendant had laughed and checked her for bruises and helped her into the bath with a mothering smile. Today, though, the attendant was not smiling or laughing. Everyone knew who Chela was and that she was unclean. The attendant knew that if Chela went into the mikvah and she was unclean, the whole bath would have to be drained and started again. Chela undresses while the attendant watches her like a crow. Naked, she turns in place, arms wide out from her hips. The attendant beckons. Chela walks slowly towards her, stops. The woman inspects every inch of her body for hairs and scabs. She makes Chela lift her arms. She crouches in front of Chela and looks at her calves, her thighs, at her special place she makes Chela stand with her legs further apart and looks again in detail. The woman is plump and young. Chela wonders who looks at her when she does her own mikvah, if she feels ashamed to see so many strangers naked, or whether it makes her feel powerful, or maybe it makes her feel connected to all these women. These women she gets to see the way only their husbands see them. Chela wonders if she is married, if she has children, if she has daughters. The woman finally stands with a grunt. Chela smiles at her, a wide open smile. She holds her breath, holds perfectly still. The woman permits a tiny smile back. She nods her head towards the bath. Chela slides her foot onto the first step. There are seven steps down, seven, the perfect number. The water is cold. Not icy, but cold. It smells of the mountains and winter nights. She has not done this for 12 years. On the first step, she thinks of kissing Afra again, like a wife kisses a husband. On the second step, she thinks of her mother and her lined, worried face. On the third step, she thinks of Ziva and Bosmat, hot in the sun outside with their fat, happy babies. On the fourth step, the water is at her waist. It tugs at her hips. The fifth step is a question. Why God, why? The sixth step is silence. The seventh step is rock bottom. She bends her knees, dips her head under. The water is around her like the arms of God. She opens her eyes, holds her breath, looks up to the shafts of windows, the distorted roof, the pale, stretched face of the attendant. She imagines outside. She could put on her best robes and run, run as fast as she can to sit at the feet of the holy man. He had looked at her, looked her straight in the eye. His look look was like a lightning bolt through her. He had spoken to her and her alone. He had called her daughter. His voice was as smooth as the water around her. She could go. Now. Run and leave all this behind. Leave babies and husbands and wives and the disappointed, worried face of her mother. She could go. Travel with the fishermen. Listen for the voice of God. She listens. Under the water, she listens. Outside in the sun, her mother waits for her. Bosmet and Ziva wait for her. Aphra waits for her. Her father and her brothers wait for her. Under the water, she listens.
1: there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. Fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease."
0: Just going to give you a minute. Uh, just let's have a minute of silence. To. Reflect on the second reading and how it was impacted, opened up, what light was shone on it by Kat's beautiful story. And then we'll have a chance for people to share some reflections if they want to. So, Just a minute of silence. I might go first and just say that, you know, I first read that story, I think, two years ago, and it, it still moves me in the same way as it did then. Hard to share reflections after something like that, but is there anything that people wanted to share? Just things on that second reading of that story that were suddenly different, deeper?
3: Um, I loved cat story, I just wanted to say that first off. Um, I think what really struck me about Midrash and also just about the story in general is just the courage of the woman to really do everything that's forbidden to leave her tent or her house and then to go there to go out and then to also touch a man Um, and just yeah the courage that that took is um, really amazing and also I just like I kind of wonder how she found out about Jesus like did you know did her mother or somebody whisper like I've heard this holy man and after 12 years she's like, I've tried everything, why would I bother again? Or sort of, yeah, how that came about, how she was like, oh, yeah, this seems like a good idea. I'll follow this crazy man around and touch him and it'll be fine. Like, what kind of a faith is that? And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's
0: That's what's so striking, isn't it? It just creates so many questions about the story yeah, that we didn't ask before.
4: Uh, Again, thank you. That story was uh, beautiful in addition to the reading. Um, I still think, again, I'm amazed how sad it is that people are considered outcasts in that time or something that in our time we see very differently. We don't see it as a condemnation from God. And I just think of this, well, she was obviously still quite young woman. Um, how many hugs she had missed in the 12 years that she'd been hemorrhaging, how much love she had missed, how lonely she must have been feeling. And um, And I think a lot of people in our community here, are here because they've often felt like they've been outcast and um yeah i think that's kind of it um it made me wonder about where he said daughter your faith has made you well and you hear these biblical stories and they have this absolutely amazing faith which just seems like this blind perfect faith and and if you've got that you could do it and it just seems so unattainable to us in a world of science and everything and then you go maybe she still had doubt and everything and it wasn't that faith it was that step to go i'm going to risk everything and that you can still have doubt but risk it, and that's where the reward comes from, rather than this faith that just seems so incredibly unattainable.
0: It's the beauty of the, the idea of 12 years that you get the sense of The idea of 12 years, years that it's not necessarily about faith, but desperation you know, and a combination of both.
5: Thanks again, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and community, because I'm really thankful that this is a place where we can talk like that. Um, I think coming from a place where these stories were about Jesus and what he did, um, which that's what this story is as well, but I think pressing into and thinking more about where these people have come from and what their story is, might make you fall in love with Jesus more anyway. Um, so I think my reflection is just more thankfulness of the expansion of the story and the beauty in both sides in Jesus as well as in this woman and it's there's so much more that's not written there and that's beautiful and it's nice to be somewhere where it's encouraged to dream about it rather than don't you put anything between the lines (laughs) so yeah that was a beautiful experience thank you
1: thank you Kat that really was beautiful Um, What I reflected on from the first reading to the second reading, um, when we read it through the first time, this woman was just a woman. She didn't have a name and she just had sort of a diagnosis. But when we came to read it the second time, I thought, I know her. I know her. She's a person. She's a person who's got emotions. She's a person that's got family and neighbours and a place that she lives in. And it just gave such depth um, to her as a person and made me reflect on you know how many other stories that we read where we just you know read the name of a person, but we don't really think about their lives, so just to bring her um alive that the way that you did cat was amazing um yeah, thank you cat. your story um. I love this story it's one of the like anchoring points of my faith and you gave the woman everything that I've that I've been mad at Mark for not giving her identity and a name and connections and a family um yeah and it's just I've always seen myself in this woman um but to see her as another has been really powerful for me so thank you so much
4: Um, I don't go here, so I feel bad for saying anything. Um, hi. Um, thanks, Kat. Um, I think this is really cool because I feel like the story made the transition between she's got a physical ailment that needed to be healed to Jesus. Um, took away like the social burden that was on her. Um, and it's just so amazing that as well as like going through pain and suffering for twelve years, she like. Someone else said, like, she hadn't been probably intimate with people for 12 years. So that idea of, um, like, Jesus coming to, you know, make social reparations as well is just super significant. So, yeah, thank you, Kat.
1: Um, The... It, re-reading this sto- or hearing it reread the story uh, highlighted a couple of things that first there was um, how everyone that um, this woman knew had sort of uh, participated in keeping her on the edge, even though they were people that loved her. and then when she touched Jesus, uh, he could have been quite, Literally angry for for that, but accepted her just for who she was, and spoke to her and called her daughter. So in a sense, he treated her the way that she wanted to be treated, um, where other people in the story really uh, helped to keep her out and untouchable. So that uh, that moved me. Yeah.
6: I, I've picked up something quite similar, something about um, the safety of Jesus, that this woman had lived so much of her life. And the passage uses the words you know, fear and trembling, but kind of hiding something that had made her an outcast. And for me, the words that stand out the most in the second reading um, was, and she told him the whole truth, that there was something safe about this man. Um, yeah, there was something safe about this guy. That that it wasn't just you know a conventional magic kind of miracle, but, but there's healing through. Um, yeah, that, that 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 capacity to just hold what is, and to bring you know in what had previously been what what most keep out. Um, thank you, Cat. Any time, Phil.
0: One more.
6: Did you
2: thanks, everyone, for your thanks. Um, yeah, I really, um, like I said at the start, I really got a lot out of doing this. Just doing the research, um, like learning that, like women in those days, you had to wait another seven days after your period had ended. Um, so, which really means like for two weeks of the month every month you are unclean um, which is just so astoundingly well I- impractical and inefficient for a lot of like <laughs> cuz women did all the housework what who did who did the housework when they weren't doing it i guess the mothers-in-law who who'd gone through menopause i don't know um but also like it took me ages to give her a name so chela means rust um and it took me a long time to settle on that but i thought that was like a nice kind of I don't know like the color of dried blood which is something that she would have seen every day Um, but we don't know her name and there's so many unnamed people in the in um, the many bible stories Um, and i really when shane clifton came here and spoke a few a few weeks ago um, and he talked about when we one of the ways to engage with the bible is to like just look at all the perspectives of who's in the story he was talking about it mostly from like a disability perspective but really like all of the like rather than just the author's voice which is the voice of like a straight jewish male mostly um or like in our western world it's usually a straight white male that's reading the story out to us and that's the perspective that we default to um trying to really engage with these stories from a perspective of the unnamed people in the stories um i just think it's such a, a richer way to hear these lessons and and understand who Jesus was and who he engaged with.
0: Thanks, Kat. A few weeks ago we um, talked about the fact that um, we have a vision as a community to be jazz improvisers rather than classical musicians. No offence to classical musicians. um, But to be willing to, um, in the light of scripture and in the light of tradition, to sort of treat, each moment on its merits. And in the light of that idea, I'm going to not sing my song because I'm just aware of the time and just doesn't feel like this is the right space to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to share communion together. Um, The song's not going anywhere, so I'll find a place for it sometime. Loving God, we thank you that in the Bible that you... Speak to us in song and poem and story and image. Thank you that you in the Bible remind us that um, there are truths that can only be discovered in that way. And we thank you that Jesus left us with this image, this symbol, this practice to remind us every week that there are truths that can only be known through our imagination. There are truths that can only be experienced through our bodies. And so I pray that you'll help us to remember that as we eat and drink together. We pray this in Jesus' name.